Today is Sunday, May 27th, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Episode 264 featuring ESPN's Jeff Goodman is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and use the promo code CLNS for 20% off your first order. It's also brought to you by Hims. My listeners get a special trial month of Hims today for just five bucks by going to forhims.com slash CLNS. Evan Valenti back with you here on Celtic Speed. I know it's been a while since I've talked to you guys. I'm just filling in for Adam uh, for the next couple of weeks. So if you tuned in, you're like, oh, this isn't Adam Coffin. No, it's Evan Valenti. Hello. Nice to meet you. Um, filling in for him the next couple of weeks. Everything's fine. You're just going to take a little break for a while. But in the meantime, I continue to tell you and preach you the same stuff that Adam did, okay? Because shows are dropping at a more regular schedule, not every Sunday, make sure you subscribe to this show on iTunes and subscribe to CLNS Media on YouTube. Not only hear more from me, not only hear more from Adam, but we're at every single game. You want to hear directly from Brad Stevens, directly from the rest of the Celtics. You'll hear more from Mike Petralia, Nick Gelso, Joe Sway, my guy who just turned, uh, just had his birthday the other day, Jimmy Toscano. You know the whole crew. They're at every single game, so make sure you subscribe to both us on YouTube and Celtics Beat on iTunes. Leave us a review, all that fun stuff. We'll give you a shout-out if you say something funny in the review section, trust me. Um, and if you're looking to find me on Twitter, because I'm always tweeting stuff out, it's at Evan Valenti, E-V-A-N-V-A-L-E-N-T-I. But Game 7 is here. LeBron in Game 7, taking on the TD Garden Celtics, who were undefeated at home this postseason. Game 7, everybody's favorite words, right? Game 7, everybody loves that. I'm calling BS on that because what a bunch of garbage that is. Everybody's favorite two words in sports, it's Game 7. No, it's not. It's not. It's only applicable if your team is not playing. The team you root for is not playing in the Game 7, okay? But if your team's playing in it, the do-or-die scenario is not a fun feeling for everybody involved, okay? Whether it's the NCAA tournament or if you're if 2003, 2004, and you're a Red Sox or a Yankee fan, depending on you know your allegiance, it was feeling great one year, pretty lousy the next, right? Your life during this game is going to be absolute hell, okay? And if your team loses, it's going to linger a little bit longer than after the game, of course. I saw Dan Greenberg yesterday uh, on Twitter. I was going through Twitter and... He said he was already a nervous wreck. Dan, I believe a lot of Celtics fans agree with you on that. But, yes, we do have Game 7. It's going to be an exciting game. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere at the TD Garden. If you're going down there, make sure that you are in the right mood, frame of mind uh, for that game. They are one win away from the NBA Finals of Boston Celtics. And I thought a lot of you probably had a similar feeling here, but I thought after five minutes in Cleveland that this this season – was over. All the hype, all the stuff during the offseason, all the and I'll even I'll even call them fun preseason games where you saw a brand new team do a bunch of stuff. Like Gordon Haver was absolutely spectacular. Hey, you know, I Irving and him had a great rapport already out of the gate. They were fun to watch. That was gone in five minutes. But yet here we are. It is the twenty seventh of May and the Boston Celtics are forty eight minutes away from a trip to the NBA Finals. It is absolutely, truly remarkable at this point that they are here. Brad Stevens, how do you get this team ready for Game 7? 
Got to get ready to play. Got to get ready to play at a high level, just like every other game. Um, and then, you know, it's it's uh, win or go home. So it'll be, you know, it's an absolute blast to prepare for as a coach and play in as a player. Be a heck of a challenge playing a really good team with, uh, you know, obviously um, tremendous um, individual player um, and who put on a tremendous show tonight. And again, you can hear more of that and more from everybody else on our CLNS Media YouTube page. And I love just how simple and easy Brad keeps it for everybody, whether it's the people in the media, fans at home, people in the locker room. He just knows how to talk to people and how to put people in the right mindset and use the English language in a way to get the most positive results out of people. And I love that he uses the, the mentality to attack the next challenge. The next challenge for the, the Boston Celtics is to go back home and take on one of the best players of all time. It's really that simple. And Brad said it himself after the game, after game six. And it's a, in a game where the loser is done for the year. And it is a massive, monumental challenge. Luckily for the Celtics, they're going back home. And I could sit here and I could cite you all the stats that you know show you how different Boston is at home than they are on the road. The Boston Celtics are a completely different animal at TD Garden. We've heard from national media people all over the place cry about, oh, man, it's just it's not fun when all the home, the home, the home teams always win. It's not fun when that happens. I mean, I, Coward was my favorite. That was such a whiny segment. It was unbelievable. I, 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 I loved it just so I could hate it. It was fantastic. And I could do five minutes on this. I don't really care. Whatever. You want to complain about the Boston Celtics not winning on the road? Whatever. They earned home court advantage. That's why you play in the regular season. I don't want to hear any any – crap or BS about how it's not fair that Boston plays four games at home and Cleveland only plays three. I'm not going to get into that. Boston won more games the regular season. They earned the right to play on the home floor, and just because they're using that to their advantage, we're supposed to hate the Celtics? I really don't understand it. Terry Rozier, he tries to explain why Boston has so much success on their home floor. Uh, you know, you got your fans behind you. Uh, it's a whole different feeling when you're playing at home. you just so so amped, uh, and you know our crowd is, is, is unbelievable. You know, one of the best best fans in basketball. So uh, you know we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, like Coach said, the best two out of three. We got to go back, go back home for Game Seven. We got to take care of business. Now, as we hit this particular game, couple of the keys because I know we're going to get we're going to get Jeff Goodman in a minute from ESPN, who's awesome by the way. But a couple of things that I want to get off my chest as we look ahead to Game Seven. Okay. No Kevin Love in this game. And the news actually breaks right before we do the interview with Jeff. Okay. Couple of keys. No Kevin Love. I I mean, that in itself is a monumental blow to the Cleveland Cavaliers. All right. We all have seen what happens with this Cleveland team when they don't have Kyrie Irving. We've seen it. They just they don't have the punch, right, that they need to win games on the road. Guess what? I think I don't know if you've heard this, but it's hard to win games on the road. And if you don't have another scorer like a Kyrie Irving or like a Kevin Love in this case, life gets more difficult. The way he can stretch the floor, the way he attacks mismatches, the way he's able to get after on the glass, that is valuable. I don't really care if he had a bad game in the series or not. Kevin Love is a very good NBA player, okay? And he's not going to be there. So now LeBron is going to have to do more himself. Actually, he's going to have to do both of these things. He's going to have to pick up more of the scoring load. He's going to have to rely on those other guys a little bit more. And if I'm LeBron and if I'm Ty Lue, that scares me a little bit because this game is not being played at the queue. 
This is a different group of guys when they go on the road. J.R. Smith is one of the key guys who doesn't show up as well on the road. It wouldn't shock me if he played well, but he has not showed up yet. Jordan Clarkson, George Hill, Jeff Green, all of those, you know, not even, you know, secondary, the third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh guys in the depth chart. These are guys, Larry Nance, are going to have to step up in Kevin Love's absence. On the flip side of that, look at Boston. What do they need to do to win this game? Okay. A couple of things. I think, obviously, defensively, you got to get after it right from the jump, especially now with Kevin Love out of this game. Again, this came first via Joe Varden of Cleveland.com, who's a great reporter. He does great stuff for them. Um, I think, obviously, defensively, they're going to have to set the tone early and make the Cavs and wear the Cavs out, basically, because the Cavs are going to be minus a guy that plays a lot of minutes for them. But if you look at individuals on the Celtics that need to play better, and everybody's made light of this. This is not shocking news to anybody, but Al Warford has to play better in this game. He just has to play better. He has to be able to handle the double team a little bit better. They did a great job in the first quarter of game six handling that double team, but in the second quarter, wasn't as great. They have to make quick decisions because Al's good at this. He's good at you know finding mismatches and finding the right guy to get the ball to. It's how they evolve out of that, how the ball moves out of that, that is going to be a big key for the Celtics here in Game 7. I think Jason Tatum is a monster key here in Game 7. Actually, I think he is maybe the biggest key for the Boston Celtics in Game 7. I think he can make this game a complete blowout in Game 7 if he plays like he did in Game 5. That is the best game I've seen Jason Tatum play in his life. He was outstanding on both ends of the floor. You know, with 24 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 steals, 2 blocks, he was ridiculous. Tatum needs to hit, you know, hit his open his open three-pointers, but the one thing that I need from Tatum is to drive to the basket. He is the only guy that Boston can really rely on throughout this entire series to get to the free throw line. And Tatum gets in rhythm. Any good shooter gets in rhythm by getting to the free throw line. I'm looking for that. Marcus Morris is the other guy I'm looking for. And Morris is kind of a trick-or-treat guy, whether it's at home or on the road. You've noticed with the Celtics how much better they are when Marcus Morris is engaged offensively. I think he's obviously taking the challenge of guarding LeBron James pretty personally, but sometimes that doesn't always show up on the offensive end. I think Morris, if he can bury a couple shots, Tatum can find his groove again, and if they can use Al Horford as a guy that can kind of start their offense as that double team comes, life is going to be very easy for the Boston Celtics. I know we all wish this is going to be a full-strength team versus a full-strength team, but this is unfortunately what happens in the playoffs. It's happened to every single team left standing. The Cavs are not going to have Kevin Love. We know about the Celtics, and they don't have Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward. Chris Paul for the Rockets. Who knows? Andre Iguodala out for the uh, out for Golden State for Game 5. We don't. Does he come back? How good does he look when he comes back? That's a big question there. Injuries are a big problem the postseason. That's why usually sometimes at the end of the year, that's why a lot of teams, when you look at the, the, the who's holding the trophy in the year, it's probably the healthiest team left, okay? And in this case, again, it might be that way. The healthiest team left standing might end up being the Boston Celtics, which sounds absolutely insane when you think about it and you think about the injuries that Boston has endured over the course of of this season. Now, let's welcome in my man Jeff Goodman. To me, you know, uh, I just saw this from Joe Varden in Cleveland.com that looks like Kevin Love is not going to be uh, in Game 7. He's ruled out. He's in uh, concussion protocols. Had a couple 
over the past couple of years. They want to be real careful with this, obviously. You know, you look at Cleveland's like you know, they struggle to score when they go on the road. They now they've lost their second best score for game seven. I, I know you can't ask LeBron to do more than he's already done, but you know, this has to be sort of a shared effort. How obviously it's a massive deal that Kevin Love's gonna be out for game seven. Who does the responsibility fall the most on in your eyes to pick up the slack for Kevin Love? You know, it'll be interesting to see if it's a massive deal or not. I mean, Kevin Love, an all star, we get it. He's capable of scoring twenty and taking the pressure off of LeBron. He can rebound. Uh, but defensively, he is a liability. So I think Cleveland will, will certainly be more athletic uh, now in the court. Um, you know, they are going to need some other guys to step it up. They were going to need that with Kevin Love or without him. Uh, you know, guys like J.R. Smith, like Kyle Korver, George Hill. I, I think those are kind of the keys to Cleveland's uh, chances in Game 7 because – these are guys that haven't shown to be mentally tough. I mean, J.R. Smith, you have no idea what you're going to get from him, uh, and you never have back from his high school days. He's been up and down. Uh, so Kevin Love's absence, again, will be interesting to see what Ty Lute does. Uh, certainly they were successful with him, in, without him in game six, uh, even though it was in the, in the comfy confines of, of Cleveland. Um, you know, again, we'll see how these guys – uh, react and, and how much is in their head when they travel to uh, to Boston for Game 7. I'm curious if this if this opens up more opportunity for a guy like Jeff Green or a guy like Larry Nance or maybe for Ty Lue to dust off Rodney Hood again or maybe it's more minutes for Jordan Clarkson. And, you know, the way Boston can kind of dictate matchups, and they've done a good job of it throughout the series, you know, a couple of ebbs and flows here and there, but, like, you know, when Kevin Love's out there and, and Tristan's not, and that's really rarely the case, they always kind of go after Love. And we go back to games one and two, and really in game number one, where whenever they matched up Kevin Love on Al Horford, I love that Horford was aggressive, went right after his body, took him down to the post, and did some things. You know, you look at maybe, instead of having Kevin Love, you know, maybe uh, operate on the perimeter defensively, maybe you replace him with a Jeff Green or somebody that's a little bit more uh, lateral, like a guy like Larry Nance. Could this end up maybe helping out Cleveland and come up with a wrinkle that maybe they weren't even thinking about yet? You know, maybe. I, I mean, again, it's tough to say right now because you don't know what those other guys are going to give you. Like Jeff Green, if he gives you what he did in Game Six, certainly you go with him if you're Tyloo, but. Uh, more than more than not, Jeff Green's been a non-entity, uh, not giving you a whole heck of a lot out there. So you got to find the right guy, and you know I think you'll see some Jordan Clarkson. I think you know it's hard to play Nance and Tristan Thompson together because you're just not getting enough uh, offensively, and the spacing is something you certainly worry about. And that's that's why again you're going to be relying on the J.R. Smiths, the George Hill, and the Kyle Corvers because without love to stretch the defense and stand out there shooting perimeter shots. Uh, those guys have to make shots. And, again, I think I think it comes down to really J.R. Smith is the guy uh, for Cleveland that they're going to have to rely on. And when you're relying on J.R. Smith, you are in trouble. Yeah. I, I, as, a, as someone who's going to watch this game and, 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 you know, obviously take a deep breath every and hold my breath whenever J.R. Smith uh, shoots the ball, uh, hopefully the old JR of, of the first, uh, well, at least all the games in Boston shows up to this one. You know, I look at Boston, and now that Cleveland's going to be down a body, you know, uh, and a, a guy that not only is productive for them, but just eats up a lot of minutes. I'm looking at Brad, and maybe my, Brad, my, my strategy, if I'm Brad Stevens, is a little bit different now 
with maybe the the thinning out of the roster, so if if you will, right? So now maybe if I, well, I mean, obviously they're going to want to come out and play good defense from the jump, but maybe trying to tire this team out in Cleveland, you know, early on in this game to make life easier for you in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter when you know LeBron is going to come after you if they're down or if it's close. You know, if I'm Brad, maybe that transition game, you know, getting guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier out in the open space. And, and I, you know, your colleague Tim Legler was on with, uh, I think it was Scott Van Pelt after game two, did a great job of demonstrating how Boston's team speed and young legs is really killing Cleveland. He, he showed you when you know, there'd be a, re, a defensive yeah. rebound for Boston, and all of a sudden there'd be five guys beneath the basket for the Celtics and four guys back for Cleveland, yet it led to layup opportunities for guys like Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier and Jason Tatum. If I'm Brad, Jeff, this is something that I'm I'm going back to the drawing board and saying we have to get out in front and do this right away because if we can tire them out, Jeff, I'm not going to lie, I think Cleveland's going to quit. I think – I don't know if they quit because, again, you've still got LeBron, you've got Tristan Thompson, you've got Korver, who's, a, who's an NBA veteran. Uh, but there are some guys, certainly, that you question their mental toughness uh, or their mental capacity, and that's J.R. Smith. Um, you know, that, that that's some other – you know, Jeff Green. The Celtics have proven to be a mentally tough group. That's what they do. They've got young legs. Uh, they can run. Even their older guys certainly uh, play hard. I mean, Aaron Baines is, is as tough as it gets out there. Corporate uh, can run the court. So I, I think – that's something you try to take advantage of as much as you can. Uh, but see, listen, there are times when certainly you watch Rozier and, and how he handles the ball, and it's not, not overly smooth. And Marcus Smart, while he looked good uh, with a couple passes in game six, he's not a natural point guard either. It's not like you've got Kyrie uh, running the break here, and, and you know he's going to take care of the ball and get something good all the time. I, I think Rozier needed that game six going into game seven. And usually I don't worry about his confidence, but he had strung together a couple of questionable games. And I think if he had a poor game six coming into game seven, these guys could be tight. We don't know yet how this young team is going to react to a game of this magnitude. I know they played a, you know, a big one against Philly, but um, you know, Milwaukee, they played big games in, in those series, but it's different when you're going up against LeBron Game 7, NBA Finals on the line. It's been a fun series to watch for LeBron. And, you know, he's he's just a, he's brilliant. And it's it's hard to, you know, you watch him and you, you try and, uh, uh, and pick apart some things that you might be able to attack him on. But, you know, when he's fully engaged, he's, he's just he's really tough. You, you look at, I mean, how many shots did he hit in these, these couple of games? You go back to game six, obviously the two threes at the end of the game with him in his face stick out. You go back to game two when he had that ridiculous first quarter in, in the most, maybe the most outrageous shot of the entire series so far. We had Marcus Smart on him with the shot clock winding down right in front of his own bench and buried it. You know, he's hit so many tough shots. But I, and I want to go back to that mental toughness thing. I think Boston knows that he is coming. I mean, they've clearly prepared themselves for all this stuff. They know he's coming, and, and you, you know he's going to come out at least you know, right from the jump trying to assert himself. You know late in the game he's going to assert himself. He's going to score 40 points. He's going to get 10 rebounds. Assists come when other guys hit shots, so it's not going to be really on LeBron in that case. But, you know, you watch him, and you just go, I, I don't know what you can do to maybe even possibly slow him down, but I look at this series, and when this is done, I don't care if Boston wins in seven or if Cleveland wins in seven. When I look back at the series, I won't think about LeBron as much. I'll I'll think about the guys that were around him and how 
whether they bailed him, helped him out and got him over the hump in one game or they really let him down in a whole string of games. LeBron's brilliance has been on display from minute one here, I believe, Jeff. And if I'm if I'm Boston, knowing that he's coming and, and prepping themselves for that, like I think that as they head into game seven, they know – kind of what's what, what's going to happen here and they just got to play loose I think Boston at home plays much looser with that crowd behind them uh, and I know I'm not crazy here but I, I think that a lot of times when when guys get tight and I think that's happened on the road you know Boston's forced a couple of things you talked about Terry Rozier you know spiraling out of control in the lane and losing the basketball that's happened it's happened with Tatum it's happened with Brown it's happened with Smart it's happened with Al Horford and I go back to Al being a guy that could maybe settle this team down when really, because again, I at some point, Jeff, this game's gonna get really tight. At some point, I think it's gonna be up to Al to kind of collectively bring this team together and carry him the rest of the way. I hope I'm not alone. I just want to see a really good basketball game. It comes down to the final two minutes, and we have a game. Finally, a game. A game in Game Seven would be, and and I, that's what I expect here. I don't expect Cleveland to wilt this time. Uh, I, I think again, LeBron's gonna carry him, and we know that. And the thing with LeBron that makes him so special is even if the shot's not falling, he'll find a way to impact the game, right? I mean, defensively, we saw what he did as the primary defender against Jason Tatum in game six. He could take guys out of the game on that end. And then even if he's not making shots, uh, he can create opportunities for, for other guys on his team. And, and he'll play he'll play with that same aggressiveness, I think, in game seven that he did in game six at home. Uh, and, and I think really the supporting ha- cast for Cleveland – has a chance to completely change the whole tenor of, of the perception of them. Because if they play well in game seven, this series is just kind of wiped out. And then you move on. And then what people are going to talk about is the NBA finals. So they know that they know whatever they've done up till this point in the series is irrelevant. If J.R. Smith goes for 20, that's what people are going to remember. If Kyle Korver goes for 20 or if those two combine and go 0 for 15 from three, that's what people are going to remember. This is the game that ultimately is the defining, uh, you know, memory for both sides now. I mean, I think more for Cleveland, though, than for Boston, because even if Boston loses, it's still a successful season. We know that. They've overachieved uh, per expectations. But Cleveland, the expectation is this team is going to go to the NBA Finals and maybe not put up much much of a fight uh, once they get there, but – that's the that's the expectation for this LeBron-led team, no matter what the supporting cast is around. Today's show is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and elegant fabrics. They were sick and tired of walking into department stores and trying to buy socks, trying to buy underwear, undershirts, and not getting consistent results. So they started their own company. Mack Weldon products will be the most comfortable you try on ever. They believe that so much that if you order your first pair of underwear and don't like it, Mack Weldon will refund your money. But guess what? You get to keep the underwear, which is probably good. You want to send that back. That's kind of gross. They believe it's smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. First and foremost, folks, if you don't have like high-quality underwear, I'm not really quite sure what you're doing with your life because it does change your life. And Mack Weldon can help change your life today. Again, it's the, a really simple, easy site design. You log on there to MacWeldon.com. It's not hard to find anything. They have so many cool things on there, but they also have these cool travel bags, a duffel bag and a backpack that can charge your phone 
while you're kind of on the go. Let's say you're on the train, you have your duffel bag with you or you have your backpack with you. You're worried about running out of your battery because you've been watching Netflix on your phone, right, or on your whatever device. You can charge it via your your backpack. That I've never seen anything like that. That is probably one of the most valuable things we I could possibly ever think of. Mac Weldon is better than what you're wearing right now. So what are you waiting for? Log on to MacWeldon.com today and use my promo code CLNS for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 20% off your first order on MacWeldon.com by entering my promo code CLNS. Back to Jeff. I'm looking at some of the keys here for Boston. Again, defensively, I think they want to get out and get after it. I think the mentality of a guy like Jalen Brown, who has, again, I think maybe not just on this. It just looks like he's taking this series a little more personally than anybody else. You know, you go back to game two where LeBron comes out firing, and, and Jalen Brown matched him step for step, almost shot for shot. You go back to the game six. You know, Jalen showed up in a big way for them uh, and has been really aggressive attacking Kyle Korver whenever he, he, he sees that matchup. You know, I, I, I love going back to, like, you listen to Chuck, you listen to Shaq on TNT. They criticize a lot of big guys for not calling for the ball enough, and that doesn't seem to be a problem with a guy like Jalen Brown whose athleticism is really hard for Cleveland to guard. You go back to that Philly series, I don't think anybody on Philly could guard Jason Tatum. You flip it over to this series, I don't think anybody maybe, I mean, obviously outside of LeBron, who, again, who's when he's engaged defensively, one of the best ones in the league. But, you know, outside of LeBron, that can hang with a guy like like Jalen Brown. I think if, if I'm Brad, again, defensively, you want to make sure that you're getting into guys and you're, you're staying with the shooters and making sure Corvin doesn't get any free space or JR or George Hill. But on the offensive end, I kind of want Jalen to set the tone for me right away because his young legs is something that, I don't think Cleveland can really game plan for. I mean, they they can send more guys to the rim. They can help out with weak side defenders to try and get after him. But Jalen's done such a good job over the past year of learning how to draw contact, Jeff, and finishing through it. And then, you know, add on top of that, I know he's not the greatest free throw shooter, but his free throw shot has improved, especially at home. So, I mean, Jalen... You know, between Jalen and Jason, I think one of those two guys, as we look towards Game 7 offensively, has to have a very special night. Listen, every aspect of Jalen's game has improved. You know, when I first saw him uh, after sophomore year of high school, uh, he played bully ball. And I didn't think he could work at this level. Um, But his feel for the game has gotten a lot better. His shot has gotten better. People were actually questioning his desire to to focus on basketball because he had so many interests outside of basketball. Uh, That has not been an issue. When you talk to their coaching staff, they rave about his, his work ethic uh, in terms of being uh, on the court when he doesn't have to be Uh, his toughness, everything, his offensive game is so much better. You knew he could defend. Um, So Jalen Brown is a guy now that you can rely on. Uh, You know, he's the one who really, Again, showed up in, in game six, uh, especially early on. He's not rattled uh, by any, I think, situation. So Jalen Brown's got to be really good, and I think he'll show up. The, the big question, like you were, you were referring to, is kind of mismatches. Okay, you, you go after when you've got a Jalen Brown with a Corver on him. You go after him, just keep attacking. Or are you going to try to wear down LeBron a little bit early and go after LeBron because – Certainly in the fourth quarter, you don't want LeBron feeling good about himself and feeling fresh. So you've got to kind of figure out if you're Brad Stevens uh, what you want to do. I would certainly tend to uh, attack Kyle Korver uh, as much as humanly possible. And even J.R. Smith, who people talk about as a really good defender, you know what he is? 
he's just like he is on the offensive end. He's a really erratic defender, and you don't know what you're going to get. So to me, uh, you're staying away from Tristan Thompson. You're staying away from uh, as much as you can, obviously, with Horford on him. You still run stuff through Horford, but you got to be smart. The Horford thing has been interesting because, I mean, the last in game six, Cleveland did a really great job of doubling him pretty much whenever he caught the basketball and forcing the ball out of his hands and into somebody else's hands. And Al obviously is okay with that. He's, he, I mean, he's, and when you talk about guys that are, you know, centers in the league, there aren't too many better guys at reading defenses and finding the open guy better than Al. Um, but, you know, again, you have to rely on the other guys to move the ball and swing the basketball. And the one thing with Al is if, if they're going to – and I always thought this was the key to the series because if you've been watching the Celtics for the entire year, Jeff, when Al Horford leaves the basketball floor and Kyrie Irving's not around, oh. the team really yeah. struggles to really find any semblance of offense. So when Al leaves the game and takes a seat on the bench or, you know, Cleveland throws so much at him that it re- renders him sort of useless, Boston and, – and I think – Scal has, you know, done this all year long. Boston still has to find a way to get the ball inside the paint because good things always happen when that happens. I mean, Boston's, especially at home, a very good three-point shooting team. How many open looks do they get from three because they have somebody inside the lane kicking it out to the open three-point shooter? Regardless of whether Al is going to have a good game or not, they still have to find the way, a, ball, a way to get the ball inside, whether that's you know via Baines or via somebody else. If you know via you know Marcus Smart posting up, who is a really good post passer at this point in his career. I know Al is kind of the key, but finding ways to build around him to utilize his stuff, I think, is still going forward here for Game Seven a big deal for Brad Stevens. Yeah, Al's your best facilitator. Period. I mean, he, he just is. I mean, Rozier and Smart. They're not natural point guards. I mean, Smart really isn't a point guard. Rozier has become one, uh, but he's still got a long way to go on that end. So you, you do. You want to play through Horford as much as humanly possible because especially if they have to double him, you're going to get uncontested shots. And this team, uh, that's why they shoot a good percentage because they have gotten a lot of uncontested uh, shots. So guys like Rozier, guys like Jalen Brown, uh, obviously Tatum early on in the season. Most of the shots that were taken from the three-point line were not contested, and, and that's what you want in Game 7 if you can get it. How many victory laps have you taken on Jason Tatum, Jeff? Because you were probably the most adamant guy in the national media that was like, this guy's going to be really special. Just watch. Yeah, I mean, listen, the first time I saw him in sophomore year, I remember his at LeBron camp, actually, and I loved him, but he was actually more of a, like a point forward at that camp, and he couldn't shoot the ball beyond mid-range. Um, but to, to watch kind of his maturity, uh, his game, just everything about him, how he kind of, uh, how he conducts himself. I, I just, I think he's got a lot of Al Horford in him in terms of, um, in the locker room, intangibles, leadership qualities that will rear their head, uh, as his career progresses. But I, I've said it, I really do think this kid's going to end up in the hall of fame one day and, and people think I'm crazy, but you know, he, he's got that ability and I'd be more surprised, and I know it's insane to say that I, I'd be more surprised if he doesn't get in the Hall of Fame than if he does. I'm almost there with you on that. Like I, I my my ceiling for it's Jason, crazy. It, yeah. my ceiling for him has changed throughout the season, and then over the past month, yeah. it's changed dramatically. Like I remember him coming in. You know, the first, I go back to this Atlanta Hawks game where they were on the road in Atlanta, and Jason hit a, a couple of threes at the end of that game, a couple of passes from Smart and Irving to close that game out. And I was like, man, all he really is doing right now is shooting threes, attacking closeouts, and moving the ball, and that's it. And now here we are in May, and he's 
they're drawing up plays for him in isolation against LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he's been very successful doing it. He, his his ability to grow as as a basketball player uh, as the season is happening, I think, is something that I don't think get, people put a lot of stock into. But I, I've, from what I've been able to gather over the past couple of months, like this is a guy that learns at, and and adapts at an elite level, and that is a skill. I remember talking with Drew Hamlin about it, and I was talking to him about you know. You know what happened between Jason graduating Duke and him coming to the NBA and shooting fifty percent from three point range the first month of the year, and he was like, "Well, you got to remember, he was hurt. You know, the during his Duke time, he never got really settled. He got done with there, went back into the gym, we retooled the shot a little bit, we worked on a couple of things, and then he went to Boston and for his tryout and hit. This is what Drew told me: hit eighty percent of his threes in his tryout." And now that kind of makes a little bit more sense when you think about, okay, where does he fit in today's modern NBA? What can he do? What can he work on? How does he – and then you see all the things that he's worked on throughout the entire season. My ceiling for him – like I've gone back. I've watched George Gervin play a little bit. I've watched Bernard King play a little bit. I went back and watched some of the guys, the one-on-one isolation scores that I fell in love with when I was you know, 10, 12, 13, 14. I watched Brandon Roy, Michael Red, early Carmelo. Uh, and I've gone back, and I'm like, I'm not, I don't know if there's a guy that I can like build that to make Jason Tatum. I think he's like this new age, like perfect prototype wing player that can space the floor, play defense, run pick and roll, get to the free throw line. He has everything you want out of a guy that size. Yeah, I mean, he can defend. Which, listen, when I saw him at Duke, he didn't really defend, and I kind of joke with him about that now. Uh, he's very underrated as a passer, and I think we'll see more of that uh, as his career progresses because, you know, listen, this year it's clear what Brad Stevens wanted from him, and, and I think he tried to make it simple for Jason, which is, hey, we need you to score the basketball. When you're out there, your primary, and, and that's always going to be his primary thing, is going to be scoring, but he can do so much more. He's so versatile. Uh, you see it even his his athleticism is, is sneaky. I mean, he can really play over the rim, and uh, he can get to the rim so quickly. Uh, and, again, I just I love his IQ. I love his even-keel personality. Um, he, he's whining a little bit too much for me these days. I agree with you on uh, that. Over some of these calls. He's taking it shocking, from LeBron. But yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's the problem these days in the NBA, to be honest. And, and I said it. Like, LeBron just whines incessantly now over everything. And, and unfortunately, it's trickled down. You see it in college. You start seeing it in high school now because what do kids want? They want to emulate LeBron and the stars in the NBA. And when they see them yelling at the refs and whining, that's what they do. It's kind of a copycat deal. So I think uh, Tatum is now, is now watching LeBron in the series. This is the first time I've ever seen this from him. Today's episode of Celtic Speed is also brought to you by Hims. Hims is a brand new wellness brand for men. Guys, let me ask you guys a serious question. How many of you are scared of hair loss? And I would guess, just to throw it out there, a lot of you, considering 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. Stop procrastinating and stop turning to weird hair loss solutions and turn yourself into Hims. Hims is one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and 
and sexual wellness for men. And the best part about Hims is they connect you with real doctors to treat your hair loss with actual medical grade solutions. We're not talking about concoctions that you make at home. We're talking about prescription solutions backed by science. Just go to forhams.com right now. Sign up super easy. Just answer a few quick questions and a doctor will be assigned to you. Products are shipped directly to your door so you don't have to wait in line for hours. Let Hims come to you. And my listeners right now get a special trial month of Hims for just five bucks today while supplies last. See the full website for details. This would cost you hundreds of dollars. If you went to your local pharmacy, just use my promo code CLNS. Again, go to forhims.com slash CLNS for that special month travel of Hims for just five bucks while supplies last. That's forhims.com slash clns or use that promo code clns back to jeff yeah i i just i i agree with you on that i hate the whining thing but there are so many other positives jeff that i'm willing to yeah. overlook this one little negative that that jason will hopefully grow out of you know you look at boston and the way they've gotten here and a lot of people give a lot of credit to brad stevens and, I, and i'm one of those people that gives him a ton of credit but i've gotten to the point jeff where like the mentality of this team it, it, you know, and the the way these guys get better, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be at least talked about because I think Brad and I know this is like the hottest take of all time, and I and I know a lot of people might kill me for this, uh, but I do think Brad gets a little too much credit for how this team has gotten here. Like I, Jalen Brown, I think is the best case where you look at a guy that shot twenty percent in college at Cal from three point range. Now he's shooting forty plus percent. Like the way this team adapts and this way that this team is is built, it's built around character guys. I think Danny's done a really good job going out and finding guys with a certain character, whether that's you know Jalen Brown who locks himself in a gym, or Jason Tatum who has leadership qualities at the age of nineteen and twenty, or if it's Marcus Smart who we learned this week from Tom Westerholm who had a little nice little tweet that they've had to tone down scrimmages and like eliminate them. During the later part of the year, because Marcus Smart quote can't tone it down. Like this team yeah. is a reflection of Brad, no doubt, but it's also a reflection of Danny. It's a reflection of of hard work. I think like the character of some of these guys, I think Jeff gets kind of overlooked, and maybe that's helped them here in this series against LeBron. Where, as we've talked about already, this 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 uh, segment where you know this team is mentally tough and can withstand whatever LeBron throws at them and not get too ahead of themselves. Again, it's happened on, on games on the road, but at home they've been significantly more compo- composed and, and, and at least can can handle that that blitz that LeBron's coming with. I think Brad gets a lot of credit for putting guys in the right places, but I think we don't talk enough about how these guys are mentally tough on their own. Well, what I, what I think has happened here is is Danny's figured out what Brad needs what types of players, what types of character. Um, and Brad's done an unbelievable job. And I talked to Steve Kerr about this earlier this year of enabling his guys. And Kerr does the same thing. They're similar in that, in that regard. They're both kind of low ego. Uh, they're positive for the most part. They're not jumping their guys. They enable. And the, the best example you can use is Brad with Marcus Smart. You know, he, he's one of the probably worst three-point shooters uh, in, in the league, I think in NBA history, even somebody gave me a stat recently, uh, percentage-wise for the amount of threes he takes. But Brad understands that, you know what? You give these guys freedom, you give them confidence, you enable them, and on the other end, they're going to reward you. And that's what Marcus Smart, that's what Jalen Brown, that's what Terry Rozier, 
That's what Kyrie Irving even did a little bit when he was out there this year. It rubbed off on Kyrie because these other guys are guarding. So Kyrie feels like, man, I got to guard a little bit. I can't play like I did in Cleveland. I, I got to guard because all these other dudes are guarding out here. So I, I think Brad understands that. It, it's funny because I have one college coach text me uh, the other day, and he said, and this is somebody who knows Brad very, very well, and he said, can you believe the fact that Brad Stevens right now, I never would have thought, would be coaching a team that's known for its toughness? Because that wasn't, you know, look at him. You, you know, that's not him, right? I mean, he, he's a good guy, too nice a guy. His teams at Butler were tough, but they're, really the thing at Butler was they overachieved talent-wise, which the Celtics teams have done as well, and they would clutch and grab you and kind of muck up the game as much as possible. Uh, but this team, you know, right now is known for its toughness. Yeah, I'll, I can piggyback off that. I was well, I was at Syracuse the first run for Brad to the national title game, and they played Butler, I believe, in the Sweet 16. And I remember laughing about it, even though, you know, the I think Syracuse at that time was down Lorenzo Onowaku, who had torn his ACL in the Big East tournament. And I remember going against a Butler team. I ne- I never heard of Butler in my entire life. I didn't know who Brad Stevens was. Matt Howard, uh, I had no clue. Uh, I had no clue who Gordon Hayward was. But, yeah, what I found interesting was his teams out-executed everybody. They were – they were they, – it, it, it especially when it got tough. So maybe, like, you know, at the end of the games when, when Syracuse is throwing the ball around and can't find a way to score, you have a Butler team that's going down the other end and methodically finding ways to win. And that, that's kind of like you look at Brad's blueprint. Maybe that's where, where it comes into play. Jeff, I'll get out, get you out of here in this last question. I don't like to make people make predictions um, on things, uh, it, but this game, I think, will come down to a couple of factors. In your mind, Jeff, what's the biggest, besides the home court, because we all know home court has been monstrous in this series, besides home court, what are you looking for in game seven to maybe throw your hat on one, one name or another, Cleveland or Boston? I mean, I, I think it's really going to come down. I, I think we know how the Celtics are going to play. I do. I think we know they're going to play tough. They're going to defend. They're going to be different. They're going to have confidence. We don't know how Cleveland's going to come out. And, and I think, again, the biggest X factor for me is J.R. Smith, especially with Kevin Love out. They're going to need somebody other than Kyle Korver uh, to make threes. You know, we know Korver's probably make a few, but, but if J.R. starts making his, then you're talking about a Cleveland team that could, you know, make 12, 15 threes. And then you're talking about a game. If JR is bad, JR, 0 for 9, you know, JR, I think the Celtics win this one like they've won every other one uh, at home against the Cavs. But I think if JR is, is 5 for, you know, 7 uh, from 3, JR, uh, I, I think the Cavs then win this thing. So I really do think it comes out of like JR, Corver, George Hill. Though probably Jr. and George Hill might be the two guys if I had to circle two players in this game. It would be those two. Jeff Goodman, ESPN. He's one of the best in the business. You can follow him on Twitter. You can see all the stuff on ESPN. Big into college hoops. Big into basketball. High school recruiting. Big Jason Tatum fan. Jeff, I appreciate your time here today. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. You got it, man. Thanks. Good stuff from Jeff. As always, he's on. CLNS Media all the time. He does so much stuff with us, for us, so we appreciate any time that we do get uh, with ESPN's Jeff Goodman. Um, Adam does this Twitter question-and-answer segment at the end of every show, uh, so we put the question out there for a lot of people if they want to get their questions in. To do so, a couple of questions from you guys out there in the Twitter sphere. Uh, first one, Garrett Cohen, at G Cohen. 
What should my current panic level be for Game 7? And I'm sure a lot of you have similar questions to this. Look, don't panic. Come on, man. This is fun. I know it's hard to kind of remove that. Uh, the, 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 oh, man, it's Game 7. Uh, you know, the whole season's on the line here. In reality, this is a monumental accomplishment for this team. They've gone much farther than anybody expected they would. Uh, hopefully, you know, they kind of follow the same philosophy. They play a little bit freer, um, and they don't, you know, they don't try and press too much. This should be, as Brad Stevens says, this should be fun. We're playing basketball. Basketball is a fun game. So panic, like, as a fan, if you want to get totally invested in one game, yeah, I mean, like, you should be, you know, a little, little nervous about the game uh, later tonight. But in reality, you know, this, this team is already further along than they should be. So the fact that they're here right now is uh, quite remarkable. Next one, uh, Joshua Sears at under, uh, Josh underscore Sears 5. If the Seas make it to the finals, which team do they match up better against? And maybe uh, I, I think I might, people might think I'm crazier, but I do think they match up better with Houston. And the reason why I say this, I've been saying this on my own radio show um, for a while. The reason why if I'm Boston and I want to play Houston is because the the offense primarily gets generated from one position on the floor, whether it's James Harden or Chris Paul or Eric Gordon. Usually not a lot of deviation from that. It only comes from one spot on the floor. Now, James Harden is an incredible isolation scorer, and he's not in the best series against the Golden State Warriors, but he's going to be the MVP of the league. He's unbelievable, right? Chris Paul... We'll see what happens if he comes back healthy. If not, obviously, you'd want to play Houston because they're going to be down their second-best player. Um, but, again, if you get offense from only one spot on the floor versus when you look at the way Golden State initiates their offense, it comes from Steph Curry, obviously, but it also comes from Clay Thompson. It also comes from Kevin Durant. It also comes from Draymond Green. They can facilitate their offense with different guys, and that's what makes Golden State so tough to guard. Now, Golden State has kind of gotten out of that a little bit as they've played Houston. You've seen a lot more iso ball for them. The Golden State's much harder to defend when the ball's moving around and you have different guys running offensive sets. When you can focus in and key on one guy like Durant or like Curry and they really just use those two guys primarily for playmaking, life becomes a lot easier. But even with that being said, I'd still rather play Houston even though they have James Harden on the team. I still think Kevin Durant's a better player anyway. Uh, another good question comes from uh, at look at my FT. So peace off, my man. How does the offseason look different if the Seas go to the finals versus losing in game seven if it makes a difference at all? Uh, peace off. I don't think it makes a difference. Uh, good question. I don't think it makes a difference because I think Boston, regardless of if they go into the, you know, go to the finals or lose tonight, I don't think it really matters for them. They're still going to have the same question at the end of the season anyway. It's do we have enough when we're fully healthy to have a team to contend for championships, not just the next year, but the year after, year after, year after. This is what these guys think about all the time. Do we have enough pieces? You heard Wick Rosbeck say it in that interview with Bill Simmons. You know, they knew last year that even though they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, they didn't have enough talent to get past Cleveland. And when Kyrie became available, there became an opportunity not only to grab a guy that's really talented, but to also hurt a team that you're going to be going up against a little bit. So, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, Boston has addressed things, and Danny, we all know, is is freewheeling and dealing, and he never takes a, a moment off, essentially. He's always looking for ways to improve this team. I think whatever happens, I mean, I, look, I don't expect Terry Rozier to be on the roster next year. He could be on the roster. He might not be. 
But with the way you know things are going and contracts are coming up, I don't know if that's going to be a viable option for them because they're going to start paying guys. I'm not sure if Terry is going to be that guy that remains in this team. I'd love to see him on the Celtics, but I don't know. And I don't know if winning ten- tonight or not winning tonight is going to make a difference. Um, I would not expect them to make some drastic move just because of the outcome of one game. And that's not what Boston does. It's not like Dan- uh, Danny Ainge, not like Brad Stevens. I would, I would, I would be shocked. Uh, primarily if if Boston were to uh, make a major trade because they lost one game. That's going to do it for this edition of Celtics Beat. A couple of shout-outs to thank out, uh, to hand out to everybody. First off, you guys for listening to the show. Shout-out to Nick Gelso, our, of course, CEO of CLNS Media, the executive producer uh, of everything in CLNS Media, Larry H. Russell, former host of this show. Uh, again, thank you to you guys. And thanks to Adam for giving the platform for a while. Again, Adam will be back in a couple of weeks. You'll hear from me for maybe two or three more weeks. We'll see how it goes. Um, but uh, very excited. Game 7 tonight should be a whole bunch of fun. Uh, I, look, try to relax. And it's going to be tough, but uh, this team is so much fun to watch. I think I'd be the, if they lost, they'd just be upset because I love watching this team. I'm not ready to say goodbye yet. But we'll see you guys next week here on Celtics Beat right here on CLNS Media. Enjoy Game 7.